With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Let the festivities begin with a real 5 to 7 foot Nordman Christmas tree for only £15. Home base. Feels good to be home. While stocks last. Let's begin our nighttime relaxation. You've never felt more. <coughs> Feel your eyelids getting. <coughs> now let yourself lay back and get a good night of. <coughs> when cold and flu symptoms won't let you sleep, ask for Night Nurse. Its unbeatable strength helps put cold and flu to bed. Only available at the pharmacy counter. For cold and flu relief, visit dayandnightnurse.co.uk slash verify for verification. Always read the label. Busy Being Black is the podcast exploring how we live in the fullness of our queer black lives. These are conversations at our intersections and an opportunity for us to hear firsthand from others in our community how they have learned and are learning to thrive. If you like what you hear, please take a moment to rate, review, and subscribe. Doing so lets others like us hear the voices amplified here. Media Diversified was established in 2013 to help change the conversation in the media by foregrounding the voices of writers of color. Media Diversified is a powerhouse. Two books, Bear Lit Festival, the Jalak Prize, and a newly appointed editor-in-chief, Marcus Daniel. Marcus joins me in conversation today to discuss combating the overwhelming negativity of the British media, creating space to amplify black voices and reclaiming our time from racism. We also touch upon his view of what it does and does not mean to be mixed race, the formative impact of queer black social groups, and what he hopes to achieve at the helm of one of the most important media platforms in the world. I'm Josh Rivers, and I'm Busy Being Black with Marcus Daniel. Maybe we should start with your tweet. I hate the media so much, so fucking much. And this is in response to the New York Post's Native American activist Nathan Phillips has a criminal record. Right. Uh, well, I retweeted that. No, I just yeah. want to start there. It's a yeah. great conversation. Yeah, it's a good conversation. So I think that's a very good example of how the media works. And we see this in the USA and we see it in the UK. So Nathan Phillips was harassed by a group of uh, young white schoolboys, who gets to go on the Today Show. And then we have Nathan Phillips, who's now being asked questions. Were you really a veteran? Um, he had a criminal record. And they're kind of trying to discredit him. Mm. And you know, whatever happened has absolutely nothing to do with what happened to this man. And the young man, I've forgotten his name, but he want to know his name, to be yeah, honest. Who cares? Um, he has a rich family who apparently have got a PR firm involved to right. to rehabilitate him. Mm. And this says a lot about how young white people in particular are allowed their childhood, they're allowed to make mistakes, they're allowed second chances, and they're allowed rehabilitation. And many people have said that if you look at what happened to Trayvon Martin, for example, these people were vilified, their characters were completely assassinated in their death. 
and they were victims. And here we have somebody who clearly, uh, you know, caused a racist incident, was the forefront of it, and is now going to be invited to the White House. And, and what does that say about how white supremacy works? And, you know, this is not just an American thing, as we no, have seen. No. You may have seen the um, very tragic news story about the boy in, in Waltham Forest, not far from where I live, Jaden Moody, I think his name mm. is, and he was killed. And immediately, the Daily Mail had pictures up of him saying he was making gang signs. This is the 14-year-old boy who's mm. died. And then uh, someone has now been charged for this. Uh, the boy is white, and he was referred to as a lad. So it just goes to show the whole different way that black and ethnic minority people are treated. And devalued. And devalued mm. um, by the media. It is failure to recognize humanity. And it says a lot about media spaces is that there's nobody there to call it out a lot of the time. So the UK media, we always quote statistic, when Media Diversified first started. Which is, I think, 2013. That's right, yeah. Mm. The media was 94% white. And when you say media, you mean newsrooms, journalists, yes. decision yeah. makers. That's right. 94% white. And it's, it's now got worse. It's 95, apparently. <laughs> right? We're going backwards. So it's, it's, yes. it's actually going backwards. And I had a very interesting conversation with somebody who used to work the BBC Newsnight. And I was saying, well, is this a conspiracy? She said, well, no, half the time. The fact is, if they are putting together a story or a package they have no one to run that by and they will go, well, actually, that's not quite right because the mm. office is, it, there's no diversity in the office. Mm. So they're coming at it from a certain angle and there's nobody to actually pull them up and say, right, you know, this is not what we should be doing or this is offensive mm. or, you know, mm. you are contributing to this climate. Yeah. So, uh, And so for those who don't know mm. Media Diversified, how is Media Diversified helping tackle this kind of long-standing problem with representation of, of minority communities in the media landscape? Okay, so Media Diversified has always been about foregrounding the voices of colour, as, as we say. So what we do is we take those voices, we will put those voices in the foreground um, and champion them. For example, a few months ago, before Christmas, um, one of our writers wrote about Melanie Phillips. And Melanie Phillips wrote a very offensive article about Muslims in Europe. So mm. we commissioned someone to write a response to it and saying that Melanie is effectively advocating, you know, a kind of genocide, to be honest. Mm. Yeah, you know. And Melanie Phillips saw this and she was not happy. <laughs> so, she, so she wrote a response. But I think, well, she read it. She wrote a response. The response is probably not, oh, I've, I've realised the error of she my can, ways. Yeah, buckled down yeah. the original position. Yeah. So, and also we very recently, Amnesty International Netherlands did a campaign and it was about asylum seekers crossing the Mediterranean and they decided to use a image which was basically sexy asylum seeker. So it was a, a woman not wearing many clothes, lying on a, a bed of life jackets. And there were a lot of organizations. So there's an organization called NGO Safe Space and they campaign on 
NGOs being safe spaces for, for women in particular. And we hosted their open letter to Amnesty International saying you should not be sexualizing yeah. Refugee, like refugees. <laughs> yeah. It's, yeah. It almost beggars belief. L- yes. let's, let's say it explicitly, the role that Media Diversified is, is hoping to play or, or in, and in many cases already does play in the UK media landscape. Right. So it's to provide a platform for... It's, it's to provide a platform and help change the conversation right. because our articles do tend to get noticed, mm. right? We have had a number of instances where one of our articles has gone out and then a few days later, an extremely similar article gets commissioned somewhere else, mm. right? Oh, you had this with The Guardian. Yes. You kind of do these very long threads yeah. um, of the, the Guardian copying your story, yes, almost yes, verbatim. Yes, yeah. yes. So, okay, that's not great. Instead of approaching our writer and commissioning our writer, they might use somebody else. But I think The Guardian in particular does tend to, you know, even though their staff, last time we had a look at their their staff photo, it was still looking very white. <laughs> um, at, at least it gets people thinking and saying, right, well, let's commission somebody to write about these things from the perspective of somebody from that community. Because, yes, The Guardian is seen as the last bastion of the left-wing press. Mm. But time and time again, we see things like Owen Jones, great guy, but why is he writing about trans women? Mm. I think uh, there's another one where they were just writing about Beyonce and black America, and they got a white woman to do it. (laughs) Now... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> you know, it's okay, you know, it's, it's a right artistic license, but these articles to me come across a lot more authentic when it's actually somebody from that community yeah, who really knows what they're talking about. Yes, you can go out and do all the research in the world, but you know, obviously it's really tough out there in the media and being yeah. a journalist we've just heard BuzzFeed laying off 15% of their workforce the closure of Into completely yep mm. and, and Mike as well that's completely shut down and it's it's really hard for journalists out there and it's especially hard for people of colour to get their break in journalism and a lot of our writers have gone on to to uh, write for The Guardian to get book deals so it's also bringing these voices and, and, and getting people noticed. So, and, yeah. and how is Media Diversified going to survive in this environment? Right? Well, I mean, we've, <laughs> we know what's happening with digital publishing. We can see that all around the world. Mm. You know, they're either being bought out or closed down and layoffs are being made. Um, journalism is perhaps not what it was in yes. its heyday, as it were, totally. as an industry, obviously, not as, not as a trade. But So uh, how does Media Diversified plan to survive in this, in this climate where you know, you need funding to yes, keep going. Yes, totally. So you may have seen we uh, just had a Kickstarter campaign mm-hmm. which gave us some interim funds. We are still in the process of looking for some core funding which will make sure that we have a future. You know, we want to pay our writers. We believe that writers should not be working for free. Mm. So we need funding. So you know, the Kickstarter was, was great, uh, but it's now we are looking at journalism grants and, and trying to get that core funding in place so we're not having to go out there and yeah and, and, and yeah just getting some more subscribers so if anybody out there does read media diversified you know hit the subscribe button and subscribe to our patreon <laughs> there I go, I've got my advert in. <laughs> we will of course yeah. include those in the show notes as well yeah to the, to the, to the patreon and, um, and just to say it's totally non-profit so right yeah it's a non-profit so everything organization too yes everything goes back into Media diversified and into paying writers and editors. Um, we can probably count on one hand the number of 
queer slash gay black men at the helm of a media organization. What? I haven't really thought of that. (laughs) (laughs) As the former editor of Gay Times, I can confirm there's very few of us. Yes. What does this mean for you, this this editorship? Well, for me, I came to this editorship via very unconventional means. So I had written for a queer blog before, The Queerness, Mm -hmm. um, and edited for that for a while, and that was not my day job. And just through getting to know Sam, going to her events, she'd obviously seen the work I'd done with the queerness. She had written for Media Diversified. Uh, I think she'd seen. Obviously, I'm, I'm a big, big tweeter, mm-hmm. so my opinions all over Twitter all day. So, um, so we just had uh, had a conversation, and um, and I was like, oh, okay, so this is something totally different for me. So you know, in my day job before I was in the corporate world, so. It is, for me, it's brilliant because it is doing something I'm really passionate about. And obviously it does have its challenges, you know, like the funding, for example. Yeah, yeah. I, I guess I guess more personally what this yeah. might mean for you and what you think as, uh, as a queer man of color, mm. you think you might, that you're able to bring to this position. Like, as I said, there's so, f- there's so few of us who have either yes. occupied these spaces, want to, can have access to these spaces. And so I, there is something unique about the queer black experience, which I think lends to these kind of positions. I don't know if, if that's, yeah, that's quite so, a leading, yeah, <laughs> leading so, question. You know, for me, it is, um, I'm hoping to increase the LGBTQ content. Mm. We had um, an article written by a black gay man, which is about Kevin Hart mm. and his homophobic jokes. The only perspective that matters. Yes. Yeah. For well, me, that is the, the only. Yeah. So if you look at the media, there were lots of discussion about it. It says, I want to hear from a black gay man about what that means for Kevin Hart to be out there making money out of doing homophobic jokes. And there's the whole, it's just a joke. You're all, you're all snowflakes. Mm. For me, it's getting out there the fact that these things do impact us, you know, it's, and the article said, you know, it was a betrayal by straight people in the black community by saying, oh, you're all snowflakes. Mm. And one thing I'm really wary of is making comparisons between racism and homophobia. Um, But I think in that article, it was very legitimate for a black gay man to say, would you, as straight black people, cis straight black people, be happy with a white comedian making jokes about black people that were offensive. Mm. You wouldn't, you'd be all over Twitter, right, yeah, okay? Yeah. So, but I think for me, you know, he is the only person, you know, uh, is black gay men, I think it, we're the people to make that comparison. I don't think anybody else making that comparison is a little bit. And also I think the, the importance of that perspective and indeed the reason you want black women to write about Beyonce and not white women is because it comes from a place of, well, it, let's take the example of, of Kevin Hart. There is a different tone and intention to what we're asking of Kevin Hart yeah. that is not replicated or invoked by a white writer, yeah. right? I think, and it's perhaps much the same that happened with my own situation, was that there were people who said, we need more from you. We expect better of you. We are disappointed. Yes. Versus the other side of that coin who were like, aha, yeah. <laughs> right? Yeah. Nothing you say matters anymore. Sit down. Yeah. Right? The, the, the intention of, those, uh, of, of that intervention is, is quite different. Yes. Yeah, yeah. T- totally. And I think even when I'm commissioning articles, I do try and get voices from the community that is affected by these issues at all times. I mean, 
if we're writing about uh, culture, reviewing a film or pop songs, then then that's fine. But most of the time, I will say you need to be a member of that community, mm. from that community. Mm. Um, I've just commissioned a, a new column, which will be looking at working class uh, South Asian communities. Amazing. Yeah, yeah and, get, and getting a voice from there, because all we hear about these communities, unfortunately, uh, are, are negative views about radicalization sure. yeah. and, yeah. and um, you know, segregation, segregated communities, and that's all you hear. <laughs> yeah. So I'm speaking to somebody now about, you know, getting more of that voice into, onto Media Diversify to say, this is, you know, let's talk about our community. And it's a little bit different, as you say, than a white journalist from The Guardian, you know, picking up his, <laughs> <laughs> you know, his yeah, recorder. well-intentioned, does he? It's yes, well, yeah. Totally well-intentioned. Yeah. And, you know, a lot of the time it's not with malice. Yeah. Mm. However, what I do find, uh, I do find quite malicious is the whole hiring processes in the media. Why has an industry, which is, you know, most of it is based in London, which is 40% people of colour, how has an industry ended up 95% white? Right? Yeah. And, and there's something going on there, yeah. you know, that, that this is not about, oh, oh, you know, it's, oh, oh we didn't realise, you know, there's, there's a lot of things going going on. Um, and, and, and that's really, you know, what, you know, we're about is taking people who, who have personal experience and know the most about these issues. You can do all the research in the world, but if you've been personally affected, mm. you can get your thoughts down in a thousand words and it gives insight that somebody from outside the community you know, is, you know, would never get, even if they do as many interviews as, as possible. Yeah. I yeah. think a great example of that is this is this incredible article that I'll include in the show notes about the people of color who voted leave. There's a, a guy who's name, not name, is Jermaine, um, who maintains that his race, how he experiences the world as a person of color and how he sees himself had nothing to do with his position on leaving the EU. He said, just because we made the same decision on the ballot paper as um, white racists doesn't mean I agree with their views. In fact, if I was to apply the same thinking used by Remainers to this I'd say that voting for Remain is in itself racist since it favors those European immigrants who are majority white as compared to immigrants of color from the other parts of the globe, which I think is a perspective that I haven't considered. Yeah. <laughs> I thought that. I thought, I thought actually, that's, that's, that's quite fair, interesting, yeah. isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. So. And I think it's mirrored by an, a woman called Gwen later on in the article who says, why have we given preferential treatment to Europeans over Africans? Mm. So these are very interesting perspectives. So every time I see Leave voters being interviewed on the TV, they're off to the Leave hotspots and they're talking to white people. In fact, not even the Leave hotspots. They came up to near where I live in Walthamstow, just over the border in Chingford. They went and interviewed about six white people in a row who'd voted leave mm. and our area is like 50% people of colour and it was a big remain area and and this is the voices they were getting so that article it was very interesting to hear from people of colour who had voted leave and some of the reasons were not what you'd expect as you're saying it was you know, I spoke to some other friends about this she's a black woman she voted leave and she says to me I see the EU as dangerous. Um, the far right is rising in European countries. They're having more of a voice in the EU. Mm. You've seen their whole policy about refugees. 
people see, seeking asylum. Mm. They are literally putting up a wall. We talk a lot about Trump building a wall. But meanwhile, the EU are building a wall and sending people uh, back to incredibly dangerous situations. Yeah, and the simple fact that no one is pointing out that you do not need a physical wall to have terribly dangerous borders. Yes. There's this thing in the media where we look over at, at the USA and mm. go, oh, look, Trump's building a wall. Look how horrible they it's are. Ho- they're yeah. horrible over there. <laughs> yeah. you know, they're all really racist. Mm. And they're doing that from an office where literally nearly everybody's white and they're in London, mm. right? So there's a kind of, yeah, <laughs> cognitive distance, a mismatch here. Um, so, and, and I think a lot, a lot of our journalists in the UK, I, I think I think they, they'd really like to be an American journalist and cover the White House. <laughs> yeah, so, yeah, of so, course. So, you know, we get a lot of American news, where, you know, and I think this, is, this has been a failing in the media in that over the years, before Brexit happened, we heard very little about Europe. And I think this has been a massive failing. The only thing we heard about Europe a lot of the time was when the Conservative Party had a split over Europe, yeah. which obviously led to the whole referendum in the first place. Or there was a silly story about the EU will only let us eat straight bananas. And it was seen as frivolous and a gravy train. But every time the EU... Straight bananas. Yeah. I yeah. remember that. Yeah, yeah. yeah. All these stories came out. And, I just and, want and, a regular banana. Yeah. And, <laughs> and one Boris Johnson was at the forefront of these stories mm. when he was covering Europe. By the time the referendum came round, we'd had, well, for a start, we'd had centuries of British imperialism and exceptionalism. Mm. Obviously, that was a big factor. And then we'd had decades of, of these you know, stories about the EU. Whenever anything positive came out of the EU, say, for example... Uh, EU roaming charges, right, on your mobile. Right. Yeah, you used to go up. Huge to go win. Yeah. <laughs> I, you know, I, I remember once I, I, I went to Turkey and I was sat doing Facebook by the pool and I got a £300 bill when I got home. Yeah. Right? So, so that's a massive win. But what tends to happen is the national government will present that as a national law, as a national win. It was never, oh, it's great, the EU has done this. And so, so we got an incredibly skewed view of the EU. And... The only time the EU politics were covered is when there's a big election. Mm. And when it, with, with the um, USA elections, yeah, it's fascinating. Great, it's big news. It should be covered. But, you know, we're covering, uh, they're already talking about 2020 and 2018. There's loads of coverage about it, covering the primaries. Mm. And it's kind of skewed. And, and obviously, you know, there's the point about language. It's obviously mm. easy, isn't it? Yeah. However, I, I think that has been a, f- a failing of media to, to talk totally. about you. Yeah. And I think what Media Diversified does is it, pr- it, it, it there's a journalistic integrity there that I think is is quite lacking. Um, and as much as you on this platform provide, as this article demonstrates, um, perspectives that we perhaps didn't immediately think of. Yeah. Um, and that give a great deal of food for thought because yeah. I miss that, right? I, yeah. I, 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 I'm looking for views that are that are different to my own and that perhaps tease the edges yeah. of my understanding. Um, and I think that you so readily present that to people so they don't have to look for it, as it were, Yeah, is, is a huge benefit to our community. Yeah, and I think, you know, I, I met people of color that, yeah, not that's a lot, like my friend Emma, personally, I voted for Maine because, um, you know, I, I believe that, you know, we should be part of of Europe and my feeling was that the UK would be caught, become more insular mm. and that would become more dangerous for people of colour and as we've seen with the rise in hate crimes 
uh, following the vote, that has been a sad result of, of that, is that you know, there has been a significant number of people who thought that a Leave vote meant people of colour packing the bags yeah. and... I'm doing I'm doing air quotes going yeah. home. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So And look, I'm not gonna lie, repatriation for me is looking pretty good. Yeah, yeah. So it's yeah, it's just, it's yeah. So I'm, like, I'm off. Yeah, yeah. And a lot of people are thinking that. And, and yeah, Ghana's been in uh, on across black Twitter a lot for whatever reason. Yeah. So um and a lot of EU citizens are 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 thinking about packing the bags and leaving. Mm. And I think on the one hand there's a lot of discussion now. Um, I think I saw a comment about, um, I think someone made a comment saying EU citizens aren't listened to, um, you know, they, they never get an EU citizen to talk about it's on the news, and this never happens to any other minority group, which I raised a big, big eyebrow out. <laughs> and there was this big thing about, oh, yeah, it's going to cost, was it £65 for us to get settled status? That's disgusting. It says, do you know how much it costs? a non-EU migrant mm. to get settled status in the UK. And a, an, another thing is that I thought about the whole Windrush scandal is it was treated as a political scandal and it was treated as a scandal for, for Amber Rudd and she resigned and it was out the news in two weeks. And, and for them, it was, oh, it's a bit of a scandal, you know, these pensioners were affected. Now, for me, my mother is the Windrush generation. Right. That's my mum. That's my auntie who came over with her. That's her friends at the community centre in Manchester. And I actually got a lot of phone calls from people saying, oh, do you want to come to... I said, my mom, you know, they thought my mum had been affected. And I was like, no, she's got a British passport. She's fine. However, what I, th- I thought was that people were seeing, oh, yes, they weren't seeing um, pensioners, old people being terrorised right mm. deported held in detention denied health care and that that is literally being terrorized in your in your own country for me it it, it kind of lacked for me a little bit of humanity totally it, yeah these people were not seen as frail old people it was yeah and, and i think our response as a community as a as the diasporic community here in the uk demonstrates what i think we as black communities have always been very good at which is recognizing other people as our own right so i yeah. think whether you were a second generation um from um, an african nation yeah or you were second generation windrush yeah we all looked at that with collective outrage yes. to say you can't totally. treat our people like this yes. because it is, you know, as as David Lemmy said, a, a day of national shame or indeed a scandal of national shame. Yeah, totally. And for me, um, the Guardian was the Guardian did some great work on that, and but they were writing articles for months, and I think it was only I think when I talked to journalists, I said, well, you know, why did it finally blow up? And it says because people were talking about it on Twitter. And also, I think the fact that the Windrush 70 years celebration was coming up. And yeah, Patrick Vernon had a great deal to do with that. Yeah, yeah. And, and, and they were looking for a news angle. Mm. And they were like, oh, oh, yes, here's a, here's a good angle we can use. And instead, yeah, so th- there's always articles being churned out by Amelia Gentleman in The Guardian, who did a fantastic job, and nobody paid any attention whatsoever. And I think, for me... That it was a failure of media again, once more. That, yeah. Do you th- do you think that media shapes what we care about, and what what level of responsibility do you think we have as citizens to demand more? And maybe that's both and. Do, do you know? Do you know? Do you know what I'm asking? Uh, yeah, I, I think um, social media 
Twitter in particular has actually given us a platform to demand more, which I think is is really good because before these articles were published, they were published in in the Guardian. That was it. You could you could write you could write a letter to the editor. Yeah, because right. you, you, <laughs> yeah. you said there was no interest in, in, until someone noticed that it was blowing up on Twitter. Yeah, yeah. And then all of a sudden it became a scandal. So yeah. it, that might suggest that actually we are deciding what we yes. care about. Totally. Everyone says, oh, yeah, you know, Twitter's just nonsense. And, and I, think it, I think it's quite fashionable to make disparaging remarks about Twitter, <laughs> especially in the media. There was an article the other day about journalists should just leave Twitter. Twitter is actually driving the conversation. I see myself as being in a number of factions on Twitter. <laughs> there's black Twitter, there's <laughs> yeah. gay Twitter. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Obviously, there's intersect between the two, there's yeah. black gay Twitter. Black gay Twitter is the best, <laughs> obviously. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> and, and sometimes, you know, we, we have a discussion, you know, we, we discuss things, we have a big discussion, and then it's in the Metro two days later. Mm. Okay? And if you're active on Twitter, if you just go and Google your Twitter name, and then click on news on Google, you'll be surprised how many, you know, a lot of the time. Your really? Tweet, your tweet, yeah, my tweets have been lifted and been posted in news articles um, all over the place. And it is, to, you know, because the media, as you say, is struggling for uh, investment and there's been cutbacks. And, you know, what's a cheap way of doing a story? Oh, yeah, let's go have a look at Twitter. Mm. What's everyone talking about on Twitter? Let's steal a few tweets and do, a, you know, 500 words about it. Well, and because they're trying to get the clicks. Yeah, right. clicks. And this is the other thing, isn't it? It's about um, clickbait journalism mm. is getting the clicks. And I think we had a discussion the other day where a perfectly reasonable article came out. Um, it was about the young man on Twitter, Corbyn Easterteen, I think he's called. And he was a big supporter of Jeremy Corbyn and he got a scholarship to oh, Eton. Yes, yes, yeah. it's good for him. Yeah, and, for, and, you know, I think there was a big difference between... Um, what a lot of white left-wing people were saying and what people of colour were saying. Mm. They were saying, oh, yeah, he's going up against his principles, et cetera, et cetera. That's fine. You can afford your principles. Mm. He is a young, working-class, South Asian boy. He's been offered this opportunity. Good luck to him. Take yeah. it. Yeah. yeah. I don't agree with private schools and, and, and Eton. If you have an opportunity to go there and personally lift yourself up, then go for it. Well, it it, mm. it brings up this incredible question or dichotomy, or what have you, that we talk about a lot within this within our community mm. is surviving within the system. Yeah, you know, John Amici and I spoke about this, um, and thriving outside of it. Yeah. Right? Do we move up within these structures and systems which have been designed to kill us and keep yeah. us down um, by going to elite universities, by working within all white organizations, or do we strike outside of and try to create our own platforms? You know, media diversified as a wonderful example of that, and no one can quite agree on what the best strategy is. I, I think there's space for both, mm. but I'm, I'm a big believer in building your own. Mm. And you know, we, we talk about you know community, and you know, as somebody you know, a black gay man, you know, what is your community? A lot of black gay men together, they come out, they go into the LGBT community, and expect them to be you know welcome with open arms and, and accepted. Mm. And we know that that is not necessarily the case. So for me, it's about finding your people who are not necessarily um, people, you know, your biological family or, you know, 
it's, it's finding your your own networks. Mm. And we were talking about I was talking about this uh, yesterday with somebody, and she was saying in particular, um, young women of color, um, you know, they don't. She wasn't saying they don't, but she's saying she really wants to. Um, mentor young women of colour about networking, mm-hmm. right? And I think sometimes people feel a bit of reticence about networking and and saying, oh yeah, you know, uh, building these networks and saying, oh yeah, I've got, you know, I, I know about this opportunity, you've seen this, you know, um, because they think it is something that's wrong. Whereas for people that went to private school, it's completely natural to them. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Yeah, and and they have these incredible networks, you know. We've you know, we all hear about the whole internship thing, where mm. you know um, a friend of mine saying, "Oh yes, you know, somebody got an internship at our office," and I said, "Who's that?" And they, oh, oh, it's so and so's nephew. Yeah, yeah, that, is that going on? And and I think sometimes it's because people don't know there is a network of Black people out there who are willing to connect you. Yeah. I just had breakfast with my mentor this morning. Yeah, and asking him, he said, "Who do you need to be connected to?" Yeah. Totally. And I think it's, it's great to build these networks. Um, we all need to earn a living. Mm. So, yes, I mean, I've just come from a corporate world, but I, uh, when I'm job hunting, I always, you know, have a look around the office, see who they're employing, etc. Mm-hmm. Um, and it is difficult. Um, but, yeah, it's, I, th- I think there's space for both, but I think people should not be afraid to build their own platforms. Media Diversified is a very good example. There's obviously there's other organizations mm. out there as well who've completely just built their own platforms, um, done their own thing, and are getting, getting recognition for it. Mm. Um, I'm very interested in speaking to you about being mixed race. Okay. Uh, do you use the term mixed race? How do you identify? I, 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 you. I identify as a mixed black person or a black mixed person. Yeah. Oh, interesting. Mixed black. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Interesting. Um, Do you think mixed black still has the political con- connotations of, or, yeah, the political connotations of blackness? Yes, because there is this thing about, you know, everyone's talking about, oh, yes, the mixed race population's growing. I hate that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah, you know. Fuck off. So, yeah. So, <laughs> so we, we are not yeah. some racial selves. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so, we are not going to solve racial. No. You know, um, you know as, as I keep saying to people, I have been on this planet. A few decades now, <clears throat> and um, and you've not solved. You know, the, you know. There's an article came out recently saying racial discrimination in, in employment is actually got worse. Probably, yeah? yeah. And us being here is not solving any issues whatsoever. So there are these articles about mixed race people. Oh, there's so many mixed race relationships now. Blah blah blah. It's going to change the world. And they sat writing the article. And you look at the article. Well, well, well a white person wrote this. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> How many mixed race people have you got in your office? Yeah. Mixed race black people in particular. Yeah. Okay. When I was growing up, I, I think a lot of mixed race people their identity does evolve, and I think that's absolutely fine. So growing up, me and my brother were blackety black black. <laughs> okay. Right. Yeah. Growing up, that was it. Right. So, and that's because the world read you as black. Yes, right, totally. Mm. And we lived in a pretty much all white area. Okay, yeah. Um, so it was it was kind of weird because um, my dad is an only child, so he's he's a white working class boy. So he's an only child. So his side of the family was very small. We never ever saw his side of the family. It wasn't much, but of course, you know. My mum, even though most of the family were in Barbados, they were in and out of our lives, going back and forth. We mm. went back and forth there. 
a sister, a sister came over as well and with her and we had cousins here as well. So it's kind of like, you know, the family felt it was a, you know, it was um, a, a black family, really. Um, mm. and, and you felt accepted by yeah. them? Um, I, I think, I'm not sure if this is a Caribbean thing, but Caribbean people do not really care. Right. Right? If you have a white dad. So like my, my great aunt in Barbados, and we think my grandma, but when we was sort of a bit of a, <laughs> um, <laughs> we're not sure, actually sure, um, had a white Scottish father. Right. So, so they had these poor people in Barbados called red legs. Red legs. Uh, red legs, they're called, yeah. Are these the Scots? Yeah, yes, right. yeah. So <laughs> the funny. descendants of Scottish indentured um Well, um, not funny people. in the yeah. historical context, but yeah. the name is funny. Yeah, the name's funny, yeah, yeah. So... My great aunt in Barbados was mixed race, and yeah, n nobody questions that. And mm. I, I think for Caribbean people, there is the majority of black countries. But if you talk to a Caribbean person, you'll say, "Oh yeah, you know." They say, "Oh yeah, you know." My great granddad was a white guy, or, or whatever, and it, it's completely, um, you know, natural. So w when I hear, "Oh yes, you know," mixed race people saying, "Oh okay, well, I'm not accepted the black community," I mean, I, for me, it's kind of like, well. That's not my experience. Mm. You know, that, you know um, of course, that, that may happen. Totally. T yeah. Totally. I understand. It, you know, it does happen. But I think for the Caribbean community in particular, and I also think when in that Windwush era, when uh, black Caribbean people came over to the UK in great numbers, a lot of them were men. So a lot of them, right. you know, there was a gender imbalance. Mm. A lot um, had, you know, white girlfriends and wives. So it was kind of the first kind of big rush of mixed race babies happening. So I think um, for me, it's kind of, it's never been an issue in terms of, oh no, where, where do I fit in? Mm. Because to me, I've always felt accepted. Interesting. Yeah. Yeah. And I, and, but I think there was clearly, I went to a fairly all white school apart from a few South Asian kids. Um, a lot of the time, you know, it was fine. But mm. there were some racist incidents that me and my brother, you know, had to face. And I think that kind of, um, of course, um, that that influences, you know, your politics. Mm. And you go, well, why is this happening? <laughs> you know, mm. and, and, um, and, you know, I think that gives you an appreciation of the way that, about rejection and how humanity can yeah. reject you. So, yeah. so when I came out at university as, as a gay man, it wasn't like, oh my gosh, I'm going to run to the Lesbian and Gay Society, as it was called then. <laughs> and it was going to accept me. I, I was a little bit like, um, well, you know, I've, you know, having dealt with racism, um, you know, the fact that people are LGBTQ does not exclude them from it. And I think, even though I never kind of, I think it was a subconscious thing. So I wasn't expecting this, oh yeah, come and join us, you're part of the LGBT community. Yeah, you know, yeah. I, I've always felt so entitled to my gayness. Mm. And it's taken me a much longer time to feel entitled to my blackness. Really? To claim it, totally. Yeah. yeah. And so I, I didn't, I, I, I haven't kind of had that, um, woe is me, I don't know where I belong. No, no, I, I've always yeah. belonged, I felt like, I've always felt more comfortable in white spaces. Right. Until very recently. Right. And that goes for within LGBTQ communities and, mm. and outside of them as well. Yeah. So it's fascinating to me. Yeah. I, I think I, I, 
this mixed race conversation is very interesting to me. One, because it's so reductive. We are mm. not the salve for yeah. racial discrimination. We are not the future. It's, we're not going to be holding hands and singing Kumbaya and we've overcome all of our mm. racial discrimination. Um, but at the same time, um, it, it, who am I? Yeah. Um, who am I? Yeah. And, and I think just going back to what you were saying about building your own networks, mm. I think for me, I, I was quite lucky because I think a university... Um, so I'll go into a little bit of history here. Yeah, please. Um, <laughs> um, I, um, well, actually, my classmate, who was from, the, he was a, he's, he's a black Caribbean guy. I, I thought he was just a friend, and he basically seduced me, right? Okay. Oh, nice. So, <laughs> <laughs> so which is nice. Um, just walking w- blindly into a bumming. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. <laughs> so, so he, uh, but he said, oh, I, I, I'll go to this black gay men's group. Do you want to come along? And then, uh, so I went to a black gamers group. This was in Leeds. It's only about seven or eight of us. Wow. So it was a tiny little group. But I was like, oh, you know. And it was like, oh, okay. You know, these are people. And, you know. Um, and then I split up with him. But then I I met at the group um, my sort of first long-term relationship. And we date, you know, we had a relationship for about four or five years. So it was kind of, it's an incredibly small group. But and I'm still in touch with people from that group today. Wow, that must have been such a fortifying experience. Yes. Yeah. Right? Yeah, yeah, yeah totally. Because I, I think, you know, when I first came out, I was like, oh, shall I, shall I join the Gay Society University? And, and they were like, yeah, you know, let, let, let's go to the um, the techno night at the poly. Let's take drugs. And I thought, well, this isn't me. I, I, I prefer to go to the Afro-Caribbean Society. Right, right. Yeah. And they had, they had amazing parties. I mean, yeah. A lot of time, the police would come and shut us down. But it <laughs> was... The sign oh, of a good party. Yeah, exactly. So... <laughs> So I used to go there. We used to dance, dance all night, and, and you know that was more my scene. Of course, you know when the homophobic, like you know, Buju Banton came on, except I had to sit down. But yeah, yeah, I sit this one out. <laughs> yeah. I sit this one out. Um, but then, you know, I wouldn't say it was necessarily it was a safe space for a gay person. But it was like I'm gonna, I'm gonna enjoy myself. You know, this is how I go and enjoy myself. Uh. Um, so I think. Um, it wasn't something I did by design. I was extremely it just a, a series of events. Yeah, it felt quite organic. Yeah, I felt it, it felt quite organic. So, for me to find my community early, I think when that relationship um, um, finished and I um, I moved to London, um, and again it was like, well, I wouldn't say I'm a massive party animal anyway, and, and a lot of the scene does involve around partying. But mind you, I, I used to go to heaven, actually, and G-A-Y and, and so on. I but, do but, um, the whole No part longer, being, though, since Jeremy Joseph is an no, unrepentant racist. I, 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 yeah, so it's, mm. he's racist. And this is the thing. It's like Jeremy Joseph, we had the whole thing about XXL as mm. well. Mm-hmm. Um, XXL marched at Pride with a huge troop of people. Everybody was white. And it's like how walking, uh, walking these spaces. And I really do feel for young people. And I think that's why events like UK Black Pride are so important. And for me, that, that is my favorite day of the year, I've mm. decided. Every, 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 the last three years I've gone, I'm just like, this is just fantastic. Mm. It's a whole field. But I'm always like, where are these people for the other 364 days of the year? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Wait, 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 they're all here. But I just, I just want to see you. For, I want to see this, like, you know, every week or, yeah, or, yeah, or, totally. or, or so. And, it, and, you know, it is really... I think just through the networks, going back to building networks, it's through Twitter. I have a lot of followers in the US who were black gay men, you know, mutual followers, and you know, we chat and in the UK and that that's a little network, you know. And I I went to New York and I messaged three of my New York 
gay black men and say, oh, do you fancy meeting up for brunch? Or, you know, go for a drink. And, that, and that's what we did. So, so uh, me and my partner. Um, but I think um, there's still a big discussion, isn't there, on Twitter. Uh, every, every once in a while, we get the grinder screenshots of people being racist. Mm-hmm. And you're like, yes, these people should be called out. But on the other hand, you've got to think about your... Um, you, you know your mental health and your well-being, and it's you know how much of your time do you want to spend educating people about race? And yeah, how do you choose what to fight and what to let go? Um, I think I mean obviously I'm a, I'm a I'm a I'm an older man now. I'm I'm married, um, <laughs> um, <laughs> which doesn't mean that you're not on the apps. Yeah, um, <laughs> I which is, which doesn't mean I'm, I'm not. Um, <laughs> <laughs> you don't have to answer that. No, it wasn't a question. It was just a statement. <laughs> it's not a statement. Yeah. Just me. I'm, you know, I'm, I'm not saying that when you margin, you're not on the app. Thank you. Okay. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> However, I'm not out there dating, looking for a partner. Okay? Right. Right. Um, but do you think I that s- means that you're less disappointed if you do come across the kind of? Well, I'm I'm out of it, aren't I? A little bit Fine. because you know there's people that are looking for long-term relationships, and they have to. Navigate that. You have to navigate mm. that, and it's and it's kind of. I think the issue has been that even now, um, a relationship between two black men or even two people of color, as as gay or or by men, um, you know, you don't really see that in the media much. No. Okay. No. That's and it's right. and it's and I do say to these guys. Well, first of all, um, you know, full disclosure, my husband's white, but I was saying, do you? Um, have you, you know, you can date each other. You can build networks with each other, right? Yeah. yeah. yeah? And, I, I th- and I think, I think being gay, especially if you're my generation, was just white, Yeah. right? Everything. And I think a lot of great work has been done recently to say, no, 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 you know, we should diversify our images, how even the mainstream media, you know, gay times and, and so on, in mm-hmm. attitude, have, have done some work around... Attitude to a lesser extent. But yeah, yeah, lesser extent, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah. Have, 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 you know, have done some work about at least have some representation of, 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 of men of, of, men of colour um, and showing them living their lives and having relationships with each other. I just think we can't rely on LGBTQ media. No, I don't think so either. It's just not reliable. Yeah. And because if we... Because I think one of the things... And you'll have some thoughts on this, no doubt. Mm. One of the things that I've struggled with most is reminding myself that my worth is not decided upon by visibility. Exactly. Right? How visible people like me, who think like me, who, who want l- what I want, how mm. visible we are, is not a reflection of our inherent worth. Yeah. And, and that's taken me a really long time to get my head around. Yeah. Because I used to believe in media. Yeah. I believe in media a little less so now. Right. I can understand that. Which um, is why I'm trying to create something yeah, that might help change that exactly. for other people. And this is what going back to what we're saying about creating your own. So, you know, obviously Media Diversified is a great example of creating your own. Uh, Sam, our founder, she was looking to... Um, get a documentary funded. That's right. She was in Uganda, I think, wasn't she? Yes, yeah, she, she was in Uganda as a as, as a journalist out there, um, as a correspondent, and she had real problems um, getting a, a documentary funded. And she was looking around, seeing like white guys getting their documentaries funded, and you're just like, you know, I wanna, do you know what? I want to build my own media platform, mm. and, and that's what she did, and that's what you're doing. You know, it's kind of um, build your own platform, and and I think it's what we're saying is that. What we do is 
the mainstream media is looking for what's the next hot thing, you know, yeah. what's underground, what's cool. And and they kind of look towards us, don't they? They yeah. kind of go, oh, yeah, yeah, they might rip off our articles or rip off our, our ideas, but at least... By at least they're consistent. <laughs> at least they're consistent. And at least by building our, oh, we've got control of it. Yes. And it might permeate into, into the uh, mainstream media. So... But yeah, it is not the be all and end all. Yeah. And, and, and this is what I was saying about reclaiming your time is how much of that fight do, um, do you do? Yeah, um, yes, on on the one hand, yes, we should fight racists. Yes, yes, yes. Post their grinder screenshots and drag them. But it's kind of like, how much is that affecting um, your your mental health? Yeah. Mm. And it's, uh, for me, it's, it's always, you know, do you want to spend your time trying to educate people um, I think there's a time and place for doing it, but then there's also a time when you have to think about you and your mental health, and it's taking a step back from it, to be honest. And for me, the battles that I fight is kind of, well, you know, sometimes you walk away from things. I mean, you know, I think on it's on Twitter in particular, it's kind of, oh, yeah, yeah, let's retweet this person and drag them. Uh, look at this, it's terrible. Um, but... In real life, it can, can just be tiring, isn't it? It's totally. like, yeah. So it's like, what battle are going to fight? And sometimes, you, sometimes you're like, right, no, I'm not having this. I think pe- I thought about this just this morning, actually, that I often forget that I'm already fighting a pretty big battle in my head. Yes. To then go out into the world and to go into social media and then to get so deflated by you know, terrible language being used about black lives, mm. about the reduction of our humanity, about, you know, my objectification. It's it's a lot to take on. Yes, totally. So I think, yes, there's battles to fight. And I think there's times when you do have to take a step back and think about you. What yeah. do you hope for? I just, in, in, in general or just... It's, just, it's broad on purpose. It's, it's, it's broad, okay. <laughs> well, I think... Um, to be honest, I think the way things are going at the moment, we are going through an extremely turbulent time, in you know politically, um, and I, I hope we can you know get through this. So we've got oh, we've got you know we've got Brexit coming up. I think there's going to be a backlash. We've, you know we've got Trump. We've got the rise of the far right in Europe, and I think that you know I'm hoping that. This is a phase, you know, this is a cycle and that things aren't going backwards because we are seeing signs of, you know, you know with trans issues in the US, for example, being rolled back. There's, there's signs of some of you know, the hard uh, fought things that black people, LGBTQ people, black LGBTQ people have fought for. Um, you know, being chipped away at and, you know. So what anchors that hope then for you? I, I, I think you have hope in you know, people, people of color in particular, LGBTQ people, you know, queer people of color, as we are saying, finding our own voices, doing our own thing, and as you say, not expecting the mainstream to give you your validation, is find your own validation in building your own networks, doing, you know, uh, uplifting other people like you that you know um and i think i think there's been there's been a lot more of that in the last few years and that's i think that's what gives me hope is that you know people are saying right you know 
I'm, I'm going to um, campaign and get the mainstream to do this, that and the other. And it's kind of like, well, no, 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 I'm, I'm going to do this. And, and building those networks and not seeing it as being divisive because mm. racism is divisive. Yeah. Homophobia is divisive. Yeah. That's what's divisive. Yeah. You going off and doing your own thing is not divisive because already people are, uh, you know, uh, excluding you. So I think that that's what gives me hope is, is you know, things like we diversified, podcasts, et cetera, et cetera, is people going off and saying, right, I'm not going to, um, you know, beg people for tolerance and acceptance. Um, I'm going to do my own thing. And I think that that is... You know, that's hopeful for me. Marcus Daniel is the editor-in-chief of Media Diversified, a nonprofit organization working to enrich, engage, and improve the UK's media landscape. The organization was founded in 2013 with a mission to challenge the homogeneity of voices in UK media through addressing the underrepresentation of minority communities. Determined to remain editorially independent, Media Diversified have a Patreon, which you can support by following the links in the show notes. Busy Being Black is the podcast exploring how we live in the fullness of our queer black lives. Thank you to our partners, UK Black Pride and Blackout UK, and to you, the listeners. Remember this, your support doesn't cost any money. Retweets, shares, ratings, and reviews all help, so please keep the support coming. Finally, thank you to Anthony Giles, a queer black Grammy-nominated producer based in New York City, for these bomb-ass Busy Being Black beats. Ashe. is in the air at Littleton Coin Company and we want to help you brighten your collection. Visit us at littletoncoin.com all month long to enjoy 15% off your purchase. With a wide selection of coins, paper money, supplies, and more, Littleton Coin Company has something for every collector's taste. Use promo code SPRING at littletoncoin.com for 15% off your purchase all month long. Restrictions apply. Littleton Coin Company. Serving collectors since 1945. Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you want to get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of The Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play The Godfather now at ChompaCasino.com. Welcome to the family. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply.